Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Next Generation Podcast. We chat with Joseph Lee of Freshline. It's going to be an awesome episode. It's a bit different because he, you know, didn't really see success right off the bat. Even though they saw a little bit, they had some huge kind of issues pop up that they had to deal with in the middle. So it makes for a really exciting story. Yeah, and the cool part about this episode is that this isn't Joseph's first business. Actually, like Freshline is one of his like third or fourth businesses, right? He, I think he started entrepreneurship when he was only 14 years old. So we kind of talk about the importance of starting a bunch of small projects before you actually go and work on your first big company. Um, and then we also dive into the story of how like Freshline was originally Coastline Markets. And once COVID hit, they lost over 90% of their customers, uh, which is pretty insane. So they changed their entire business model and have basically been fighting back this entire year. And it seemed to be working really well. It seemed to be having a ton of success from the new business model. Um, and then we kind of wrap up the episode just talking about some of the funnier stories that came out of running Freshline. Uh, you know, even stories about how Joseph had to go and actually end up eating seal meat. So uh, I think you guys are going to really like this one. I really love their uh, the story about how they got their first customer as well. Cool. So without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. You're listening to the Next Generation Podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20-somethings out there. All right. Today on the episode, we have Joe from Freshline. They run a commerce and operations platform for perishable foods. Joe, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. Before we really dive into anything, we usually like to start off the episode with kind of a quick background on who you are, what you've done, and you know what you guys are working on. Um, so a little background on me personally. Um, you know, growing up, I'd always been very, very entrepreneurial. I uh, started my first business at the age of 14, 15, uh, kind of buying and selling wholesale electronics on on Craigslist. Um, suffice to say, my parents didn't uh, really appreciate that I would meet uh, random strangers in, in random parking lots to, to sell cell phones. But uh, that's actually how I uh, sold my first couple thousands uh, of dollars. And that kind of got me into, you know, the entrepreneurship and startup realm. And um, yeah, in high school, I ended up meeting my current co-founder, Robert. And Rob and I go way back. We've known each other for probably 11, 12 years now. And uh, funny story, we started a company together back in high school uh, called Ecolite Candles. Uh, so we ended up sourcing raw soy candles or soy wax from China and making candles in our parents' kitchens and selling them in farmers' markets across across BC. So that was uh, our first business. Uh, we ended up staying in touch um, and kind of bouncing ideas off each other in, in university. And in our third year, ended up starting uh, what is now Freshline. That's awesome. And yeah, I know that there's definitely such like a big emphasis too on being able to kind of go and, and start an entrepreneurship before, you know, usually get a couple hits before you get that first home run. Um, you know, obviously now we're going to get into fresh on what it is and like how you guys have literally raised a ton of money. You guys have gone and sold millions of dollars worth of sales. Um, but I also know that like a lot of the entrepreneurs that we talk to start off with those smaller things ahead of time, right? I mean, like, you know, you're talking about flipping electronics, like Geo has in through Craigslist. I know Geo was back in the day, like flipping gift cards and stuff like that uh, through Craigslist as well, right? Buying the $150 Best Buy gift card for like 50 bucks, reselling it for like 125 or something. Um, yeah. So that, that definitely seems to be a pretty big role. Like in terms of running those businesses before Freshline, was that like, do you find that that was a pretty big role in terms of like, w like getting more passionate about entrepreneurship, getting better at entrepreneurship before actually going and starting Freshline? Totally, totally. I think there's a lot of intangible things you learn. And oftentimes you can't really pinpoint, right? And, and say, you know, from that experience is how I learned to market myself or sell online or cold call. You don't really um, know what you've learned. But you know, there's a there's a lot of lessons, whether it may be like bias for action or being unafraid to go out there and put yourself out there and talk to customers that really live on with you as experiences and, and probably help you out a ton. Right. And I say the same thing about even university, uh, despite being a dropout, I think without three years of university and all the little things, the intangibles that I learned throughout that process, I, I probably wouldn't be where I am uh, today. Right. How do you think the formal education part has kind of contributed to that? So you think university was helpful 
Do you think it was the specific program you were in, the specific university? You know, because we've, you guys not, you, you don't always finish, right? So yeah, like, yeah, totally. Was it worth those couple years? And how did that impact kind of where you are now? I think so. Um, it obviously, I think it helped, helped me think bigger and uh, also gave me the network and the grounding and the base knowledge required, right? So I, I studied uh, commerce and computer science. So, you know, it gave me a good grounding in all the principles and all the foundations, whether it's accounting, whether it's uh, marketing, finance, uh, into computer science as well, where I knew enough to be dangerous, right? So people couldn't call me out on shit or, or BS me. Uh, and I actually had the context and understanding to know what's going on on both the business and tech side. Um, so that was helpful. And just participating in like clubs and activities, I think was helpful for me. Um, you know, I was in a variety of different like business clubs where I met a lot of smart people, but also I participated in a lot of hackathons. So uh, I've done hackathons in Toronto, in San Francisco multiple times, uh, over in Boston, done a ton of hackathons, uh, lucky enough to win a few as well with uh, with the team members I had. So all of those things, I think, really helped shape uh, my skill sets into what it is today. That's awesome, man. Yeah, two points I wanted to bring up really quickly. Like one, talking yeah. about starting the businesses before actually starting Freshline and how that kind of gives you like a biased reaction and like, you know, kind of teaches you how to go and sell from a young age. I feel like, you know, half of what the, like what starting those businesses also does is it kind of teaches you like the, just the concept of like an unlimited upside, which a lot of times from people I've spoken with kind of makes you somewhat unemployable, right? Like the second that you know that, hey, we can start this candle business and make, you know, I, I'm not sure if you guys scaled it big, but like, you know, you're no. like, hey, <laughs> f fair enough, right? For, but, but, but the point is, hey, we can spend five hours on this and make $500. We're basically getting paid, you know, $100 an hour or something like that versus saying, oh, no, no, no I'm just going to get a job as a lifeguard down the street and make $12 an hour, right? It kind of just, I think it really does change your mindset in terms of how you think about work and money um, when you're able to go and start things, even if they're really small. Um, so that, that was the first point I wanted to bring up. The second thing uh, from an education standpoint, and I think you touched on this a little bit, like you're saying you're in a lot of business clubs, like I can fully honestly say, looking back, on my time in college, right? Super expensive university. And realistically, I probably got almost no value out of any of the classes I went to. Like maybe, maybe one or two, one or two were solid. But if you ask me, like, there's probably a, a handful of people that I can count on like one or two hands that had I not met them in college, it would have been actually like worthless, right? But but meeting those, you know, five or six people now completely covers that education degree and will pay like huge dividends beyond that so i do think that there's uh, a point in recognizing that like hey maybe formal education isn't for everyone but if you're willing to go out and go above and beyond and like make that network it can actually be really valuable yeah 100 percent. so now talk to me a little bit before i know you you actually uh dropped out your last year in school is that right that's correct it's, fu it's funny because it's like like several other guests that we've had on the show have also done the same exact thing and like psychologically yeah. I would be lying to you if I said that I hadn't thought about doing the same thing myself uh, at some point in school. But I do think that like the last year is like, I don't know, like, like talk to someone. We have people listening right now who are either finishing up school or just graduating. Like, like why, why the last year? Why was that the right time? Honestly, it was the opportunity cost of going back to school. So I started the company while we were, we were still in university and uh, we were starting to get a lot of interest from, investors, from customers, from uh, different people in the community that really thought we could take this to the next level. And for me, when I was thinking about going back to school versus, you know, devoting my entire time to building the startup, it was a matter of what do I have to lose by pursuing entrepreneurship, by pursuing startups? University is always going to be there. Um, it's always going to be an option for me to come back and finish but you really can't say the same thing about your business. Maybe uh, a competitor pops up, maybe the industry shifts as a whole. Um, there's so many different factors at play. And for me, I really took it as a learning opportunity. And I knew that I didn't have a family, I didn't have a mortgage, I really had nothing to lose and everything to gain, not just financially, but from a learning perspective, just as you said, Connor, uh, the classes weren't doing much 
uh, when, it, when it came to um, learning for me uh, near the end of university. Uh, but as I was running the company, I was learning everything uh, and learning new things all the time, right? Across many different uh, spectrums and, and avenues of the business. So uh, it was a no-brainer for me. It kind of goes back to what you said, Connor, right? Like if, if the biggest thing you're taking out of school is going to be that network and the people you know, you're almost graduated. You probably met everyone you're going to meet at that point, And you might not learn anything else additionally from the classroom standpoint. What So what was that actual process like? Did you sit down and make a pros and cons list of like, you know, this is what I could gain dropping out. This is this is what I'm risking. Was it, you know, you, you mentioned you would get the educational part of maybe fundraising and running the company. Were you also considering maybe the opportunity cost of not having a full-time job out of school? Like, what were some of those actually specific details on, on you know, how you made that decision and what really pushed it? I wish I was a little bit more uh, formulaic when it came to making the decision. I think it was naivety. Uh, honestly, uh, I didn't do too much research, to be honest with you. Uh, I just decided to kind of dive right in. Uh, in hindsight, it's a very big um, uh, decision. But at the time, I wasn't looking two years down the line, three years down the line, five years down the line, how it would impact my life. It was more so what is the most important thing for me to do today? What is the most you know, impactful thing that I can do tomorrow? That is running the business. And that's what I'm going to do, at least for the short term. And I think, honestly, one year turned into two years and two years turned into three years. And I was like, oh, shit, I, I can't go back. Uh, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you can you can totally swear. That's fine. We yeah, curse a okay. lot. Um, cool. But the the interesting thing about an education standpoint too is like if you're in your last year to Gio, what Gio just said, right? You met everyone that you're probably going to meet. Uh, you have this huge opportunity cost of every day that you're not going full uh, force on fresh line. You know, is is literally so, like missed opportunity, missed dollars, etc. Um, yep. And then on, on top of that, like you probably learned the mo the most stuff, right? Like if you're in your last year, you're going to miss two, three, four classes, whatever like that. Um, I think one factor about entrepreneurship that's pretty interesting is like, you know, people definitely get perceived to be like these risk takers and they'll, they'll go and take these massive risks. But in reality, what you did was more of a calculated bet. Like you had something that was going for you and you knew that you'd learn more doing something else. And, you know, the, I heard this quote the other day, I forget who it's from, but it's like a college degree really in the grand scheme of things is an insurance policy, right? The economy goes to shit, you know, your, your fresh line goes under, you know, something happens, worst case scenario, you have this piece of paper that says, no, 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 like I'm employable because I did this, right? Um, and I think, uh, you know, part of what you did is you essentially took a bet saying that, no, we're going to be able to go and grow a business more than I'm going to need to go and get a job with this piece of paper, which I think is pretty smart. But you also had the... Uh the entrepreneurship background beforehand, right? Like you didn't, you didn't come yeah. into this cold saying, Oh, this sounds like it could be fun to, uh, you know, run your own company without realizing that it's not all, uh, it's not all fun and games because things, things can definitely go wrong. Um, yeah, totally. I think, totally. You know, I think a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people nowadays, the barrier to starting something is so low. People like the facade and, and the face value of entrepreneurship. They want to be known as a startup founder. They, they want the viral success and oftentimes they're not willing to put in the work. Um, and some people just build things for the sake of building it. Um, and what's really important is not only having a bias reaction, but you want to build something that's actually useful and actually worth building and is going to delight customers. Um, that's something that's super, super important and something that's always top of mind whenever we're pushing out anything, whether it's super small or super big. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I don't know if we've actually really touched on this that much yet in this episode, and maybe we should have done it earlier on, but like, can you talk to us about like what the first version of Freshline was at this point when you decided to drop out? Like what was, what was Freshline doing? Um, and yeah. who were they serving as and then, customers? And then also like, how did that, how'd you even come up with Freshline or yeah. whatever that V1? Like what, what's the story behind For that? For sure. Yeah. So Freshline was initially called Coastline Market when we first started. So we started the company um, tail end of 2016, beginning of 2017 is when we first started. And uh, the whole thesis there was um, how can we democratize access to commercial fishermen and allow them to sell direct to consumers online? And the way we came up with it, it actually stems from Robert's background. And uh, Robert's uh, grandparents on his 
uh, mom's side is actually from Point Barrett, which is a small fishing village in northern New Brunswick. And, uh, you know, we were just jamming on ideas and, and hearkening back on an experience that he had with a commercial fisherman who was essentially going dock to dock to dock in a variety of different small villages, selling off bits and pieces of, of seafood before going to the main city, uh, not really a city, but town, um, to sell the remainder of the catch to the middleman. And that's when we started asking ourselves, why are they going through such a, like an arduous labor intensive process just to sell a little bit of fish here and there before selling to the middlemen? And that's when we realized the, the seafood industry was very, very complicated, a lot of moving parts, a lot of middlemen and inefficiencies where fishermen were literally getting paid pennies on the dollar and consumers were, were having to pay crazy, crazy prices for seafood and stuff that had changed hands five, six different times. Um, so that was the initial thesis, uh, almost like a farmer's market for seafood was kind of what we had we had built. And, um, and from there, it was just talking to customers, traveling, meeting people and evolving the business into what eventually became uh, an online marketplace for seafood, connecting you know restaurants to uh, seafood providers. I do think it's an important point to emphasize kind of what you said before, right? Building things that are that are useful um, because I feel like at least when I was younger, I had a million business ideas, but almost all of them were around just things I think are cool that have no real relevancy on, you know, no one's just going to use it because it, you know, because it's cool. It's got to, it's got to actually solve that problem and yeah. make an impact and, and either save someone money, save someone time or going from that perspective. So what was the original scale of, you guys started this before you dropped out what did, what did that look like from, okay, you have the idea. How did you get to the actual, you know, beta version or, or MVP, what, what have you? Yeah, I think uh, we whipped together a non-functional prototype on, uh, I just whipped together like a straight HTML, CSS, JavaScript front end. Uh, and uh, while we were still in school, we flew to Boston. So he was living in Toronto at the time. I was living in Vancouver. We booked a, a ticket to, to Boston to go to the Boston Seafood Expo, which is the biggest seafood show pretty much on earth. And uh, we honestly walked the floor. We printed out a bunch of brochures and started pitching these multi-billion dollar conglomerates on our, you know, e-commerce platform for the fishery. Um, and, and just to confirm, at this point, you only, you only have a landing page. Yeah, pretty much a landing page, non-functional <laughs> prototype. Um, and uh, yeah, we pitched it. And you know what? We got no customers uh, from, from the expo, from the, from the show. But serendipitously, uh, we ended up getting our first customer at the airport line. So what had happened was, um, I was, I think I was talking to Rob on the, um, uh, tarmac or, or maybe like in the lineup, uh, talking about fresh line or, or talking about coastline at the time and what we were building. And it turns out the person that was lined up behind me was running uh, a scallop farming operation out of, uh, Digby in Nova Scotia. And, uh, as soon as I got off the phone, he turned around and he's like, this is what I've been looking for. Like, this is exactly what I need. Um, and then he signed up and he ended up becoming our first uh, first beta customer and he kind of grew with us. Uh, but it was a pretty cool moment. Uh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Def definitely love the stories where you hear people finding success, trying to go and be bigger than what they are. Right. You have you have the entire front end built out. It's like, hey, here's how we work. Here's how we operate. You have any customers? Oh, not yet. But like, we're, we're going to get there. Um, and also, uh, funny enough, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Gio and I, we went to school in Boston for the past um, couple of years. And I actually yeah. uh, I only know about that seafood event, uh, the seafood co conference, because I think I was at like a barbecue one time. Um, yeah. And some girl was getting paid like $200 to go and volunteer there and then came back with like lobster tails and all this kind of crazy <laughs> stuff. So just, just kind of funny. Like I'm thinking about that as you were telling that story. Yeah. Um, that's, that's pretty awesome. Okay. So, so you go here and now at this point I, I wanted, I want to kind of spin the conversation a little bit more too. Cause like one thing that I think people have a tough time understanding is like, when is it time to actually go, go full time on something? Um, and I would love to know like the validation that you guys got, whether it was from the market, whether it's like, hey, we're actually starting to go and get our first couple of sales that gave you the confidence to be say, hey, 
like we're gonna go and take this teal fellowship or we're gonna go and, and go to uh you know tech stars and, and try to go and grow the business what does the timeline look like for all of that stuff yeah i think for us um once we started getting into some of those accelerate accelerator programs that's when we knew we had the support system and we had what we called at the time like a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity to take the leap and to to build something um that's when we felt confident i think without those associations accelerator programs or, or awards I, I don't think we would have made the leap as quickly as we did uh but from a business standpoint i don't think there's ever going to be like a very clear sign when is the right time it's it's what you make of it right the right time won't appear unless you are taking the leap and you are putting everything you have into the business to make it worthwhile it's not going to be like a like a black and white situation where it's like okay 100 100k mrr or 50k mrr now i'm ready to take the take the leap um it's gonna have to be a gut feeling and you're just gonna have to take the leap what was the actual timeline on some of these incubators and accelerators that you got into because you 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 essentially great you kind of started small got some money got some grants and essentially leveled your way up there right yeah so i think back in 2016 is when we got into our first program uh, it was called the next 36 so they bring in uh 36 young entrepreneurs from across canada who have big ambitions to build you know great businesses and and give them kind of the network and the resources to kickstart their company so uh, once we got into that program back in 2016, I think uh, that's when we made the decision to go full time. And then after that, we got into a few programs, uh, including Techstars and eventually the Teal Fellowship um, and uh, the next big thing, which was kind of an incubator uh, born out of Hootsuite. And uh, yeah, it's, it's safe to say we're incubated out now. We've, we've participated yeah. in one too many, uh, but a lot of like amazing people we've met through through that community one of one of which was obviously nikita which who, who was on your so uh, on your show i think uh recently yeah nikita's the man um yeah. what, what now what i'm really curious what the day-to-day -day looks like when you're in these incubators and what your life was like for like just that that one to two year stretch when you're trying to get this off the ground like is are you putting in these like 12 14 hour days as is typical for entrepreneurship are you trying to go and, and pace yourself so you don't burn out how how exhausting was it just working at, or was it exhausting at all yeah i think uh it was really we, we we did put in everything we had and part of it was we were young so we could afford to do that we didn't have wives we didn't have uh, girlfriends at the time we we were pretty much all business all the time um and i think um the one thing i really did appreciate uh about these programs is the community right uh, you have a community of like-minded founders that are trying to achieve more and do more. Um, and you're always benchmarking yourself, uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, benchmarking yourself against what other people are doing and pushing yourself and motivating yourself to do them one better, right? Um, that can be a dangerous game just because I think uh, comparison is often the thief of joy, especially as you uh, grow older. But if you can channel it the right way and uh, compete in the right way, it can be a really motivating thing. Seeing, you know, your friend growing revenue, getting new customers and uh, building out these really cool features uh, that can really have a big impact in your ability to execute and move and, and the commitment that you have for your business. I feel like there's, yeah, there's definitely a time when too much comparison or too much, you know, there's always someone with more, there's always someone with a faster, better larger company or what have you, but to the extent of surrounding yourself with people that hustle and people that are really grinding and, and making it work and kind of being in that same environment, I feel like, yeah, that's gotta be one of the most motivating, motivating things out there. Yeah. In terms of the transition out of that, was it strange to then not be surrounded like that, right? Like to the extent now, a bit strange with COVID, everyone's kind of working from home by themselves, you guys went from an incubator to no incubator. What what was that transition like, you know, leaving some of those programs and trying to restructure everything by yourself? Yeah, I think uh, that's one of the challenges, right? When you come out of an incubator or an accelerator program, um, you're gonna have to find your own intrinsic motivation um, and you don't have 
as much of that pressure pushing you on a day to day, right? So uh, it's important to, to find that fire, but it's also challenging to to have that fire uh, beneath you all the time. Um, so yeah, I think that is a challenge, and uh, you know, it's one we got past um, by just pushing each other and expecting more from ourselves and expecting more from our employees as well. Getting our employees to actually call us out on our shit and to push us uh, and to challenge us to be better, uh, not just always, you know, uh, us to them. I'm curious, what what does motivate you intrinsically? I think for me, it's building a legacy, building something from from nothing and building a company that's going to stand the test of time and maximize impact on the customers you're trying to solve so uh customers you're trying to serve so for us um we want to impact local food systems uh in a profound way and really help as many farmers butchers fish markets or food suppliers across north america and help them build scale um, essentially future-proof businesses in a digital first world so that's that's kind of what motivates me yeah, you, you never you never want to have to go back to the story of the fisherman going dock to dock and restaurant to restaurant to try to go and sell his fish, right? He had he had yeah. coastline at that point to go and, and yeah. take it to the next level. So I wanna I wanna take the next part of this podcast episode and start segmenting it over because you guys you guys grow really fast. Uh and I was kinda looking at the timeline and we were talking with uh Robert the other week and I think correct me if I'm wrong, I think you guys scaled it up to doing a little over five million in sales or something along the lines when you guys were running it full time. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Mid, mid seven figures. Yeah. Mid seven figures. And so the next, the next stage in this journey is now COVID hit and COVID specifically impacted the travel and hospitality and, and food industry too, so much. And from this conversation we had with Robert, like you guys saw revenue drop by 90% virtually overnight. Um, I would love to kind of understand like what, what happened and was what was going through your head at that time? A lot, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I'm I, sure, I'm sure. We were, we were scared shitless, right? Um, you know, no one at the time really knew what COVID was, what would happen. And for us, I think we knew that things would get back to normal, but as a venture funded company, burning cash pretty much every day, uh, wasn't just a matter of, when uh, if things would come back to normal i think it was when like we couldn't afford to wait two three years uh for things to start to pick pick back up um we needed to act then essentially like today so uh we made some sorry to interrupt can you explain like why why the revenue dropped so quickly what specifically a change was it was it restaurants closing or what was what was happening totally yeah so i think uh the two industries that we operated in uh seafood and hospitality they were probably two of the most hard hit um segments in in the economy so from the hospitality standpoint i would say uh, 90 percent of our customers were high-end restaurants so fine dining restaurants so as soon as indoor dining uh, had closed down um our revenues pretty much went to zero on that front and the other 10, 20% of our segment was more retail. So poke shops and, and different fast casual restaurants, which still operated, but at 50% capacity, 40% capacity. So uh, as you can imagine, um, you go from serving 300, 200 restaurants to serving 20 a week. You can, you can imagine the, the revenue is gonna drop and it's gonna scare you a little bit. <laughs> What, what, what happened then? Right, like so. So the revenue drops that far. I mean, you're having. I'm assuming you're kind of freaking out, right? Like that. That that is a massive, massive change in your business, right? Yeah. So this is that time where you really changed kind of the actual model as well, right? You had that. I'm assuming. Did you get to speak with kind of the board, or what was that actual discussion like? Okay, of this is what's happening right now how are we going to a get through this and and you know figure out what's next yeah i think uh number one is going back to the drawing board and reassessing everything um is our business model going to be relevant for the future economy and what can we do today to listen to listen to our customers and to build the things that um people need 
in our community. So one of the big things that came up was uh, we had a bunch of suppliers that we had worked with or suppliers in adjacent industries come up to us and say, hey, I want to sell direct. Um, I want to uh, diversify my revenues away from restaurants and start selling direct to consumer, but I don't have the means and I don't know where to look. I've looked at Shopify, I've looked at Squarespace, I've looked at big commerce. And while those work for shelf-stable businesses like t-shirts, uh, electronics, what, what have you, it's not built for my unique use case as a food provider. Um, so that was one of the uh, the key things that we took away and, and asked ourselves, um, can we take the best of what we have learned and the, the best technology that we had built over the last three years and spin it out into something that's going to impact all these food suppliers across North America that are now struggling? Um, so, yeah. And, and you guys, you guys essentially change your entire business model over from a marketplace distributor to be a SaaS business, right? Now, now you're a business that's providing all the technological resources to go and specifically help uh, these these niche fishermen, commercial fishermen. Uh, yeah, fishermen. It's it's really across the whole gamut of fishers, farmers, uh, butchers, fish markets, and food suppliers. So, you know, the way they operate whether it's being able to sell variable weight items, have these like geographical delivery zones, having specific ordering rules or cadences. There's a lot of unique things that are specific to the realm of perishables that aren't adequately, as I mentioned, solved by incumbent e-commerce providers without you know sinking a couple thousand dollars into custom development or patching together apps, which is not always the best solution for people that are not super tech savvy. And so even though you change kind of the, how your functional business model works, were you able to take on, you know, some older customers or at least use the network you had had and, and flip people over though? Yeah. Yeah. So our first few customers are actually uh, partners of ours um, and they've been amazing through and through in supporting what we're doing. And um, we're fortunate to have their support and we're fortunate to be able to help them as well grow in and really diversify their businesses. Uh, it's been a pretty pretty cool thing to be able to to go back and continue our partnership and, and relationship with people that we we know. That's awesome, and I think the the coolest part about the story is when we were talking to Robert uh, the other week, he was saying how revenue has not returned to where it was, but profit has. Right, so you guys are you, like by changing the business model, right? You're essentially taking. I don't know, SaaS is ridiculous. It's like 80%, 80% margins, 90% margins, something like that. So you guys have slowly like fought your way back to where you guys were pre-COVID at this point, right? Yeah, and, and we're still fighting back. I think there's a sure. ton to learn. But um, yeah, we've been fortunate to be able to grow as quickly as we, we have. And a lot of that is just from the learning experiences that we had uh, building Coastline and, and prior businesses. So we're not making as many of the, the same mistakes and right. one of the things that we learned from the coastline experiences, even apart from COVID, is just having that radical focus. You want to do one thing for one niche of, of customers better than anyone else, and you want to delight them. Uh, and one thing we did at Coastline was we tried to do too much uh, across too many areas or too many verticals. So, for example, we were managing distribution, we were managing the logistics, the sourcing, the the building of the marketplace, lead gen, so many different areas where we were executing on, say, five different cylinders and doing well, and our customers were somewhat happy, but no one was delighted because we weren't going above and beyond in one paradigm or one area, whereas now we're laser focused in what we're doing. We're building tech. We're not doing lead generation. We're not doing distribution. Uh, we're leaving that to the experts. And by really having this radical focus, I think our customers are, are being delighted and, and they're being uh, served much better than they were before. That's awesome. Yeah, it kind of it kind of just narrows down that value prop so much more specifically. We're like, if you are a butcher, if you're a farmer, if you're a fisherman and you want to go and sell things online, it's very clear that you're going to go and use Freshline because they are the hands down the best in terms of being able to kind of create that storefront that you guys yeah. want online. Totally. That's awesome. So the other thing I wanted to take away from this conversation is that you guys, and for almost every business out there, right? That you're, 
COVID is a black swan event. It's something that you can never go and predict for and it just happens and now you have to go and figure out what the hell am I going to do? And for a business and two industries that got hit as hard as the ones that you guys operated in, like, you know, I don't know, just, just kind of getting into it. Like I got to imagine it's probably really frustrating, very stressful, very emotional. Like, are there any lessons that you can share with people listening who might be going through, you know, trying to start a business and something broke or something's not working or some event happened and it's totally screwing things up on how you guys handled the past 18 months? Yeah, I think uh, the one lesson is, um, you know, you can't expect viral outcomes from day one. Um, A lot of people when they are operating and they're building businesses and in the thick of the day to day, it's hard to see your incremental progress when you're in the weeds. But when you kind of zoom out and look at it from a bird's eye view, all the little things that you're doing on a day-to-day to get better and to build, it adds up into an exponential result. So uh, too many people get into, again, the fallacy of of comparison and looking at TechCrunch articles and seeing funding announcements and looking at other people and expecting, you know, these guys are doing it overnight and these guys have built this in, in two months. Why can't I get there? There's always something uh, behind the hood, like they've put in their work, they've uh, grinded, uh, they've probably had the same challenges that you have. And you can't just look at that headline and expect the same kind of viral outcomes and um, they get discouraged, right? And give up. It takes a lot of time to build a successful business. Um, and it's all about survival. You want to survive until you hit the right opportunity of right nexus of opportunity, um, uh execution and and really luck those three things really have to intersect for you to be able to take off and it takes time for 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 those to intersect i think it's the cliche of the overnight success that took 10 years right where yeah you you only see the newspaper headline or um who is it mr beast i think had like eight years or something or five years of putting out videos every day that that would get no views and then all of a sudden everyone's like oh he blew up so quickly yeah well he yeah he put the effort into figuring out how to make content consistently all of the time. Um, I have another question in terms of the like mentality of, of surviving and, and going through all these ups and downs and what's our relationship like with having a co-founder versus not having a co-founder? You know, are you, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Would you recommend that like, people only have co-founders do you think there's pros and cons to it how's that yeah. relationship i mean i would highly highly encourage anyone looking to start a business to get a co-founder um and get a co-founder that has different skill sets uh, robert and i come from very different backgrounds and we have very very different skill sets uh, but it's very complementary um he helps me uh be grounded and and you know, I help him be more logical. For example, um, you need that support system. Uh, you know, as important as like network is, having a good co-founder and a, having a good co-founding relationship is the number one most profound thing you can do to increase your odds of success in building a business. Uh, it's tough enough building a business. Um, you don't want to decrease your chances of success by trying to do it all on your own. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think the framework that I always think about with it is that when you have a co-founder, it makes the lows not as bad, right? All right it's one thing if uh, coastline drops by 90% overnight because of COVID, uh, you know, now it's just you. And it's like, this is your problem. Whereas if you're in a room and Robert's also in the room, you're like, okay, let's, let's figure this out together. It feels a little bit better. And then on top of that too, like, let's say you guys go and turn around and sell Freshline a year or two from now, you guys get some insane return and, and you want to go have a huge party. Now it's awesome to have someone to go and celebrate with, right? It's like, yeah. it's not just <laughs> you and your employees. It's like, no, like we did this together. We battle this adversity and it's like this awesome feeling. Feeling. So I, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, the, the, the point uh, you made about celebrating your employees, I think that's a big one as well. Um, a lot of startups and a lot of people give, in my opinion, too much merit to the founders. Um, I think founding employees and your first few employees are just as important 
as as the founders themselves. Um, they are like founders. Uh, they're part of the business. Like yeah, small small co-founders, right? Like they're yeah. no yeah, no one's exactly. job when when you when you're the fourth or fifth employee, you don't have an entire book of processes and you know standard operating procedures on how things are done. You're just kind of you're in the pits with everyone trying to solve problems. Totally, and and they they ought to be celebrated and and recognized just as much as founders are, in my opinion. That's awesome. How did you go about getting some of your first employees? And also, actually, let's let's start with that question. Then I have a follow up one from there. Uh, our first few employees. Oh, I can't even remember now. Um, <laughs> it's I been think, so. Long. I think a lot of it was just going out into our network um, and asking mm-hmm. friends and family, "Hey, do you know someone who would be a good fit?" And um, and that is typically, I find the best way to find reliable employees because yeah. um, people in your network don't want to let you down, right? And they're not going to source a lead for you unless they actually think it's a good fit. Uh, eventually, we started putting in financial outcomes and, and uh, rewards for referring the right employees. But in the beginning, it was just going out into our network and saying, hey, we need to fill this role. Um, do you know people in our network, your network? That's awesome. And then in terms of when you guys, my second question was in terms of when you guys sort of shifting your business model, are you thinking about hiring differently at all now? Like, are you think, are you hiring less because you want to go and scale maybe slower or something? Are you hiring for completely different roles? Yeah, I I would say completely different roles. Um, Before we had very much a a supply chain focus uh, and we had people across supply chain, marketing, uh, software uh, product, but now we're heavily focused on on just the technical side of things. So obviously, the the type of people that we bring on are are, are different. But when it comes to like intrapersonal aspects and uh, the things we look for in a candidate, those those haven't wavered at all. They're pretty constant. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and it makes sense. You want to keep the culture the same. Um, that was that was most of my stuff on hiring. I mean, the one thing I wanted to touch on as well. Uh, we, we chatted with Robert the other week and he said, all right, when you bring Joe onto the show, you have to ask him about his trip to British Columbia, uh, and, and what it was like going over to the panhandle there. Um, cause he said you had kind of an insane story and, and maybe to tease it out a little bit more, uh, part of the story involved eating seal meat. So I'm very curious where this is about to go. Oh, oh it was very interesting. So, uh, I think we, uh, were looking to strike up a partnership with uh, an indigenous group up north uh, in Gingolix. And uh, their town essentially borders Alaska. And uh, the pathway to get there was pretty treacherous, to say the least. So I ended up flying north to uh, Terrace and having to rent a car and uh, going through this one-way road for about four hours. And for three of those hours, I did not have cell phone reception. I did not have radio connection. So there was no radio that could be played. It was just a barren wasteland and um, ended up driving up north and, and getting to the village. Um, and crazy experience. Just the, the community and people there, uh, they're amazing, but it's so different from what we're used to. So in that community of, I think, 150, 200 people, Everyone knows each other by name. There's no cell phone. There's no Wi-Fi. People are walking, talking each other. Um, it was a pretty crazy experience. So I spent about a week there uh, in isolation, meeting with like council members and and negotiating. And uh, uh, and I did in fact have um, pickled or canned seal meat, which was interesting to to say the least. <laughs> I don't think I'll repeat it, but uh, it was an experience. That's so crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I think that's honestly one of the best parts about running these companies, right? It's like, okay, is it cool hitting your revenue numbers? Absolutely. Is it really fun going through the accelerators and raising money? Yeah. It's a blast and it's, and it's cool to share the headlines, but then you start just getting a bunch of these crazy stories out of it of like, Oh no, we say with the indigenous tribe, we ate pickled seal meat. Like that was the, like, like those behind the scenes stories are, are really what makes running your company all the more worth it. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. Um, Gio, do you have another one? No, I kind of want to ask the uh, the other story now because I, I feel like I, I very much agree to the standpoint of like, that's also what makes it really fun, right? Like it's just entirely different things frequently. You're, you're running into problems that you have 
no idea how to solve because you couldn't even think of the problem before it came up and and you know maybe to, to tease into the other story now now you're on a train going in, in the opposite direction of uh of where you wanted to go oh yeah another crazy story um back when we were a part of Techstars. And uh, it's very fitting because uh, Techstars' motto is to hashtag give first. That's their whole thing. Give first to your community. And uh, there was no better example of that in action than the mistake I made, uh, as Gio said. Um, essentially, I was flying in from San Francisco uh, and I took a red eye at 11 or 1 a.m. or, or, or 12, 12 a.m. I can't remember exact uh, time. I flew into Seattle knowing... Um, the the day after that, I had a really, really big meeting with the multi-chain owner of a, of a restaurant in Vancouver um, who was, you know, potentially looking at, at Coastline as their primary vendor for their restaurants. So um, anyways, I fly from San Francisco into Seattle and maybe get three hours of sleep, head into to work the next day, put in a full hour, um, and I book my Amtrak or, or Greyhound back to Vancouver from Seattle. So uh, after work, I end up uh, going to the Amtrak station and getting on the bus, um, only to find out halfway through that I had got on the wrong bus. So uh, the the way I find, found that out was, you know, I was sitting, uh, just chilling, working, uh, you know, um, scrolling Instagram, maybe, and I get this Google pop-up notification saying, you know, six degrees in, in tum water. And you know, I make the leg up, the trip up from Seattle to Vancouver all the time for business. And I'm wondering, I never heard of no Tum water. Like, where the hell is Tum water? Right. I click it and I see my blue GPS dot between Portland and Seattle. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, ah, this is some janky Wi-Fi on the Greyhound, whatever. Um, and the people next to me are just talking and uh, raving about Gastown in Vancouver, talking about, oh, Vancouver is beautiful. And so that gave me the assurance, oh, I'm heading in the right right uh, path. But just in case, I asked the lady next to me, I'm like, excuse me, do you know when this is uh, arriving in Vancouver? And her mouth just gapes open. And she's like, this is going to Portland. I'm like, no. So it turns out they were from coming from Vancouver to Portland, essentially, the, the other way around. So by then, I think it was 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock at, at night. So I start just incessantly typing into the Techstars uh, Slack channel saying, hey, does anyone know um, uh, anyone coming up from Portland to Seattle like tonight or tomorrow or like can someone help me? And funny enough, within like an hour of me texting, someone had got me, gotten me a place to stay. So I ended up staying at uh, one of my batchmate, batchmates, friends, fiance's attic is where I stayed for the night. And uh, another person had found someone that was driving up from Seattle to Portland at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. in the morning. Um and they offered to give me a ride back. So I ended up taking a lift in the morning, setting like six alarms, uh, taking a lift to their place and getting a ride up to Seattle. And just from then, just getting right on the, the Greyhound once again, this time up uh, properly to Vancouver. And I actually made the meeting and we ended up winning that account. And that was probably our first really, really big uh, restaurant customer. Um, and it was it was pretty cool to see, very fitting. Uh, being a part of Techstars and getting people to to help us, a lot of people got a good laugh out of it because uh, Robert That's and I nice. were probably the youngest in the in the cohort, and people were just just laughing. Yeah, yeah just give you shit funny. for it. That's so funny. Yeah, two yeah. two lessons: one, get a good network, right? The people in Techstars hook it up, and uh, and lesson number two, get at, get eight hours of sleep a night so you don't get on the wrong bus. I was it's so <laughs> funny. Uh, it's so funny that we're recording today. I was literally just telling Gio before this call how last night i was watching a youtube video and i don't know there's like some one of those like clickbaity youtube video headlines saying like you know millionaire habits or something like that and so this is guy talking about like you know hey now that i've sold my business and i've made it big like uh i live this life and like here's like the things i'd never want to do in life and i said like, i never want to set an alarm clock was one of them and last night it was like 12 30 or just past midnight and i was like I fucking love that lifestyle. It's like, you know what? I'm going to do that for tomorrow. I'm not going to set an alarm clock. And it's like, I'm like, I'm going to bed now though to make sure I wake up like around eight or eight 30. Like, I don't want to like just sleep in. 
I woke up this morning at like 11.30 a.m. And I'm like, okay, hi, I'm going to start setting alarm clocks again. This this absolutely ruined my day. So um, <laughs> that's funny. Um, last question I got for you. Uh, one thing that we try to always ask every guest is my goal for this podcast in part, aside, aside from meeting interesting people like yourself and hearing these cool stories, is I hope that because we're interviewing a lot of really young people, I want them to look back on this podcast in 10, 20 years and like hear this clip of themselves on thinking like, where do you want to be by the time you're like in your thirties, in your forties and like what goals, like what would make you really happy is if you hit this spot, do you have an idea as to where you want to be like 10, 20 years from now? Um, and you know, tell future Joe when he's listening, listening back on this, like if you did this, like congratulations, you, you're crushing it, man. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, for me, I, I think I touched on this earlier is just leaving a legacy uh, that's going to stand the the test of time. I think from a like a financial perspective, uh, like I do have goals to be um, financially free and be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want. If I want to build a new business, I can. Uh, if I want to scale back my involvement with my current business, like I can, I can do really whatever I, I'd like. But in the end, uh, I think money comes and goes. Um, what I really care about is how do I impact the people around me? How do I maximize that? And how are people going to remember me, right? Are they going to be, remember me as someone that gave back, someone that made a positive impact uh, within the community at large? Um, that's going to be remembered, not necessarily how, how much money you made, right? Absolutely, and I think that's, that's a common thread among um... I think among a lot of the people we've interviewed before, before we close out, where can people find you? Where can people, you know, stay up to date on some of the awesome stuff you guys are doing and, and, you know, reach out if they want to. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, our website is uh, freshline.io. Uh, that's where you can find the latest uh, on what we're building, what we're working on uh, and the customers we serve. And um, if you want to hear more about um, my personal journey as an entrepreneur, you can go to, uh, blog.jhyle.com. That's where I uh, try to write once uh, once a month, once every few months. Um, but yeah, you can also reach me over email at joseph at uh, freshline.io. Awesome. awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for having me.